So we are concluding today our series on Chasing Happy, and we have been looking at these various dimensions of life as we uh, are always encouraged to chase happy. Perhaps Jesus is calling us to some deeper experiences of life. We talked about the hopeful life, the joyful life, the thankful life, the loving life. And today, perhaps the most challenging, is to consider the simple life. In our effort to experience the joy of God, perhaps we are called into the simple life. And with this in mind, let's hear from the scriptures from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at the 25th verse, Jesus' invitation into this joyful, simple life. I tell you, therefore, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not he also much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And then these words from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and all, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your Spirit, O Lord, your fiery, breathing Spirit, we pray that you will inhabit these words to come that they may point to the word just read and to the word made flesh. In Jesus the Christ, we pray this in his name. Amen. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I was 12 years old and returning home from, with my parents after having dropped my brother off at college. 
We were staying at the Howard Johnson's Motor Lodge in Joliet, Illinois. We were getting ready for bed. It was thundering and lightning and raining outside. And suddenly, from who knows where, they came, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And the sound filled the entire motel where we were staying. It was not the Holy Spirit. It was not Pentecost. It was a tornado. And it took half the motel apart. Seven years later, sitting in the lobby of my college dormitory, it was again thundering and lightning and raining outside. And suddenly, from who knows where, there came the sound like the rush of a violent wind. And the sound filled the entire dormitory where we were sitting. Again, a tornado that passed through our campus, destroying buildings and uprooting trees. It had passed only a hundred yards from where we were sitting. There's a moral to this story. When it starts thundering and lightning and raining, stay as far away from Steve McConnell as possible. <laughs> I'm sure most of you have your own violent wind stories. You can't live in Florida too long and not have a violent wind story. Violent wind stories are no fun to live through. Our most recent violent wind story here in Florida named Irma sent millions fleeing north for protection. Strange, isn't it, how something unseen and often unnoticed, namely the breeze, can in a very short time intensify with such power as to seriously alter your life. Strange thing about wind, it's here just about all the time, but it takes its being violent for us to be seriously altered by it. And maybe that's what was needed on that first Pentecost. We know that the Holy Spirit has been around since the dawn of creation. God in three persons was the one whose spirit, whose wind, whose ruach, as the Hebrew calls it, hovered over the deep at the beginning of time and spoke the universe and the universe or the universes into creation. And the Holy Spirit has been around long before humans graced the earth. The Holy Spirit has the power to do many things, like creating the earth and forming the dry land and putting, the air, putting into the air the birds and fish in the sea and making human beings into the image of God. It is quite a wind story. Strange, isn't it? When we think of wind, we often think of disruption and destruction. But the wind we call Holy Spirit is quite the opposite. The wind of Holy Spirit is a wind of creation and order and design. When God's Spirit is moving, she is moving to bring all things together and not to take them apart. And according to the Bible, the wind of the Spirit has always been moving. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, the psalmist asked. Good question. And the answer is nowhere. So it's interesting, isn't it, that when the wind of the, of the Holy Spirit, when the wind of Pentecost blew violently, that wind had always been around, but when the wind of Pentecost blew violently, not only did it grab the apostles' attention, which I'm sure was one motivation, but there was also some creative designing and forming that was going on, giving birth to the church to be sure, but even, even beyond that to put new languages upon the tongues of the apostles so that for a moment everybody could understand each other. Everybody could understand each other. 
Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to get to a time when everybody understood each other? Do you think we might have a need for that in this world today? Do you think that we might have a need for people to understand each other? Pentecost may be the most relevant holiday in the Christian calendar. But you see, that's what the Holy Spirit has always been up to since the wind hovered over the deep at the beginning of time. Gently and violently, if need be, the Spirit has been creating and forming and connecting and designing the creation of God, the creatures of God, to come together to form a beautiful and integral world. Call it, these days, we call it the kingdom of God. Maybe that's what Jesus was saying when he said the kingdom of heaven comes violently. Today we get to celebrate God bringing about the kingdom of heaven in a disrupting manner. And so we may be tempted to think that that's what it's going to take to bring the world together. The violent intercession of the Spirit. The big gales, the tornadoes of the soul, the hurricanes of the heart. You know those times when God has to swat alongside the head with a two-by-four. Dramatic epiphanies, Damascus Road experiences, and all those are fine. All those are biblical. But you know, it seldom happens that way. Spiritual tsunamis seldom happen. That's usually not how God works. Because there isn't a day when the wind of the Spirit is not blowing. It may just be that we're not noticing. I think that's what Jesus was saying when He told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, those who are born of the Spirit are those who are aware that the Spirit is blowing all the time in all sorts of directions and that there's the chance that we may not be noticing it. Or maybe we're noticing it, but there's something about us that keeps us from budging. That's what gets me thinking about cargo ships. One of our favorite places to go, Amanda and me, is Savannah, Georgia. And when we're lucky, we save up enough hotel points. We get a room right on the Savannah River because one of our favorite things to do is to watch the cargo ships pass along the Savannah River, entering and exiting the port of Savannah. We are not very exciting people. Now, these things are huge, of course. They carry about 25,000 tons of cargo. It's, it's hard to imagine how they float and what it takes to push them along. But one thing is for certain, they are immune to gentle breezes. Two-mile-an-hour wind, 10-mile-an-hour wind, 25-mile-an-hour wind. Not going to do much to push those things off, of course. It takes a hurricane to make any difference to those things. Now, what can often follow one of these 25,000-ton cargo ships on the Savannah River is, on the other hand, a little sailboat, a little, let's say, 25-foot sloop with a mainsail and a headsail, and, and what's it weigh? Maybe not even a ton. And as you watch the sailboats go by, their sails extend eager for the gentlest of breezes because it is the slightest of winds that will guide them along. Five miles an hour, good. Ten miles an hour, great. Twenty miles an hour, fast and furious. Thirty miles an hour, crazy. 
And then you realize something, your attention to the breeze has everything to do with what kind of boat you are and the kind of cargo you're carrying. And so maybe one of the things about our relationship to the wind of the Spirit is our ability to notice the nudge of the Spirit may have something to do with whether we are putting up our sails and how much cargo we're carrying. You understand what I'm talking about when I talk about the nudges of the Spirit? Do you understand what I'm talking about when I talk about those little nudges that make you think that there, hmm, there must be something for me to do? Little prods inside your soul, little voices inside your head, little, little pangs of conscience, little promptings of the Spirit that are trying to nudge you a certain way. Now, when your sails are down and the cargo is heavy, there is little chance that these gentle breezes of the Spirit are going to do much good, right? If you're weighed down with stuff, with anxiety and a jammed calendar and a whole bunch of possessions you have to hold on to and the cargo gets heavier and heavier and there's no point in putting up the sails or feeling for the nudges, things aren't really going to change. You're either lying at anchor or you're trudging along under your own power. That's the thing. The more you have on board, the more you have to rely on your own power. The less you have on board, the greater the chance you have to raise your sail and to catch the wind. It makes me think of that Good Samaritan story of Jesus, right? Three men wander down the same road to Damascus and they see the plight of a beaten man. And, and <laughs> you have to think they all had a nudge, right? They all had a nudge, some pang of conscience, some prompting, whispering across their bow. But two, ignored altogether, blinded by religious duty or worried about ceremonial purity, or maybe they just had too much on their calendar. They can't be budged to help the beaten man, but the Samaritan, someone who perhaps has the sails up and not much baggage, and he's the one who feels the nudge, obeys the breeze, and takes care of the man. Did you know that the more money you have, statistically speaking, the more money you have, the less of it you will give away proportionally? It's one of the great temptations and sins that we North Americans struggle with. The more cargo we have on the ship, the fewer sails we put up. That's why Jesus kept saying about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's just a plain sailing lesson, right? Don't be anxious, Jesus says. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. The Lord will take care of you like He takes care of the lilies of the field. So the first instruction Jesus gives His disciples as He sends them out into ministry, He says what? Take no additional cargo. Don't even take another change of clothes. Put up your sails. Feel the wind. Obey the nudges. So maybe it was a nudge that Irina Sendler felt some 80 years ago when she saw the Nazis building barricades in Warsaw to contain the Jewish population, creating the Jewish ghetto from which tens of thousands of Jews would be transported to death camps. Maybe it was a nudge 
that this 30-year-old Catholic woman felt when her heart broke for her Jewish brothers and sisters. Maybe, she said, maybe what I can do, maybe I could take the chance of smuggling out these little babies of these condemned families for, so at least they might have a little bit of comfort to know that maybe someone in her family will survive. So that's what she started to do, smuggle out these little babies out of the ghetto. And she created a network of other women who did the very same thing. 2,500 children they saved. Sendler was finally captured and imprisoned and beaten, but survived. Why? Why did you take such risk? Her friends asked. And she said, my heart told me so. Nudge of the Spirit. Gentle breeze. Timothy Tyson, in his book, Blood Done Sign My Name, tells the tale of his uncle, Uncle Earl, a white Methodist pastor in a little town in North Carolina who had received a traffic summons. Just a traffic summons. He went to the courthouse early one day and sat himself down to wait to pay the summons. The courtroom was empty. A black man appeared, sat down beside him. The two got to talking. And before Uncle Earl knew it, the courtroom had already filled during their conversation. And before he knew it, he was sitting in the coloreds only section. And before he knew it, the bailiff was demanding that he sit himself in the whites only section. Uncle Earl felt the nudge, this gentle breeze, and he refused. The judge ordered him to change his seat, but the wind was already in the sails. So the preacher replied, if you can tell me where to sit, sir, well, then you can tell me what to think and what to say. And I don't believe you have that authority. I just don't think the Lord has conferred that authority upon you. All I want, judge, is to plead guilty, pay my fine and be on my way. But while I'm here, I'm going to sit right there. And there he sat. The word got out to the Methodist elders that their pastor refused to leave the colors only section of the courthouse. So the elders paid their pastor a visit and informed him that he would no longer take his place in their pulpit. Why didn't you move? His friends asked. Uncle Earl said. I heard the Lord tell me. That's all. A gentle prompt. It was a long time before Uncle Earl preached again, but somehow his family always got taken care of. Don't worry, the master says, don't worry. And say to yourselves, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God. And all these things will be given to you as well. You know, every time I look at my bank statement or my retirement account or the loose tile on my roof or the odometer on my car or the results of my last blood test, I always wonder if I've got enough cargo. Maybe, I say to myself, maybe a few more two-ton containers will help. I'll add that to the ship, get a little bit more cushion, and that will keep this thing afloat. Before I know it, the sails are down, and I'm just chugging slowly under my own power, 
my own compounding interest. And the more I do that, the more I disengage, the more my soul atrophies, and the more anxious I grow. And pretty soon, it's only a hurricane that will take me off course. But you know, I don't think that's the plan. I don't think that's the life. I don't think that's what God had in mind when the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. I don't think that's what the psalmist had in mind when he said, you can't get away from the Spirit. I don't think that's what God had in mind when He got the whole church thing going. The wind blows where it wills, Jesus said. That's what God always had in mind. The wind is blowing sometimes 5 miles an hour, sometimes 10 miles an hour, sometimes 30 miles an hour, sometimes 100 miles an hour. God has the Spirit blowing all the time and she's looking for some sails. She's, she's looking for some simple sailboats with sails raised and full of breeze. She's looking to bring the creation together. She's looking to connect the races. She's looking to forgive the condemned. She's looking to rescue the oppressed. She's looking to save some babies. She's looking for folks to sit in the wrong section. She's trying to hover over your life and my life and nudge us and prompt us and prick our consciences and speak to our hearts and, and blow us off course if we have to be for heaven's sake because the kingdom of heaven is being formed. The Spirit is hovering. The new creation is coming together. All boats in formation. The fleet is on its way because there's no better way of chasing happy. Let us pray. We thank You, O God, that You fill us with Spirit. We praise You that You have the power to help us let it go to let go all those things that have a slide anchor. We pray, O oh Lord, that You will fill us with Your Spirit such that we may feel the gentle breezes, that we may listen to those pangs of conscience, that we may wonder what new thing am I called to do to bring about Your new world. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.